This week, we recommend some outdoor spots for dining. And to wrap up our Back to School series, we play some clips from our prior interviews with three different teachers. I'm Nathan Dwyer, and with Chris Roselli and Mark Bagley, we are the Whatcom Dads Podcast. All right, our Whatcom Dads recommend we're going to talk a little bit about outdoor dining this week because unfortunately, this COVID thing is not going away. No. Variants and case counts and everything, so... One option for dining that seems a little safer is to dine outdoors, and there are plenty of spaces here in Whatcom County that either already had outdoor dining in place or have adapted within the last couple of years to to make this work. So let's go a little round robin here and give a couple of suggestions for folks who might want to take the family out for a meal so they don't have to do dishes at home but want to do it safely outside. Yeah. Well, uh I think you're right. I think a lot of restaurants have dialed this in. I mean, they've had a lot of time to figure it out. Amy and I, tonight, we've been meaning to try Storia Cucina. We went on a date night. I just, I needed a date night with Amy. That place is legit. It is spectacular Italian food. They make everything from scratch, everything homemade, make all their own noodles. Oh my gosh. The service was phenomenal. The drinks were good. Everything about our experience there was absolutely top notch. So we couldn't recommend Storia Cucina and enough um, and we dined in, inside their space which is really big actually very high ceilings and we felt safe in there as vaccinated individuals um, but they do have outdoor dining too kid friendly totally kid friendly yeah it was great good good so Nathan when you pose this question to me I did a lot of thinking and talking to my wife about outdoor dining options in the North County yeah there aren't a lot really there aren't a lot we, Annette and I, we really pondered and uh, it was very difficult to come up with uh, a lot of options. But, and this may not be super kid friendly, but if you're looking for a date night and you want to go outside, Annette and I love Drayton Harbor Oysters. Mm. In Blaine, right there on the main drag downtown, they have a beautiful outside overlooking the marina. And if you're an oyster fan, that is the place to go. Incredible. I wish I was an oyster fan because I've heard nothing but amazing things from you and others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. What about you, Dwyer? Uh, we recently went to Twin Sisters Brewing, uh, probably the most expansive outdoor seating I can think of yeah. in the whole county. It's great. Yeah. And in addition to, I don't know, 25 or 30 huge picnic tables out there, there's a courtyard with cornhole and some balls and some blocks. And so a place for the kids to run around. And we just recently have got to that point where Molly is old enough at three and a half that she can be running around 30 yards away with her brother and sister. And we don't actually have to be in the vicinity. So we got a table right on the edge there and they were able to run around after we ordered and kill time until the food came. But really tasty food, plenty of beers, full bar. Um, they got lots of picnic tables. They even got plexiglass to split these picnic tables in half if there's a different family using the other side. Nice. Uh, felt very safe. And so twin sisters would be the, the Dwyer family recommendation. Right on. Um, I love Black Sheep. I think their tacos are super good. They've got a really great outdoor seating area as well. And then uh, the other spot that we really love, they don't have a huge outdoor seating area, but they do have outdoor seating is Cosmos. I just, I love their, the restaurant there at the bottom of the Herald building. Cinnamon and her team are really outstanding and they make really delicious burgers and other kinds of food. 
so my second suggestion, Nathan, um, may not follow the rules, but I'm not really a good rule follower. When it comes <laughs> We've to this come game. to expect as <laughs> yeah. much. But you, you, you let it off by saying maybe a night not to do dishes. But I want to advocate for eating outside at your own house. Yeah. Growing yes. up, that was a big deal when mom said, all right, we're going to eat out on the patio. Wow. And we've done that a lot with our family, especially in the nice summer um, weather. If you can't do it at home, even going to a park, getting some fried chicken or some, you know, Thai or burritos, whatever, eating outside and being in nature, I think, is a really, really good thing to do. Yes. So I want to put a plug in for dining outside in your own backyard. Two other quick suggestions from me. Uh, Soy House downtown. Lots of picnic tables out front. You can get your pho and other uh, Vietnamese and Asian delicacies at the soy house and then also filling station I know the James Street location has put some picnic tables outside and you can grab a burger and fries there and speaking of filling station and eatings outside I just went to trackside again Mm. Uh, that's another great place to be outside they got some good food trucks and I just read in the paper actually that filling station is going to be uh, adding a dining option down at trackside as well here in the future if there's any like city planners listening, can I advocate for like five more breweries down there and just like make it this? Wouldn't that be unbelievable? Place to come. Oh my gosh, that'd be it's, that's such a good idea. Such a good idea. Thanks, would be Chris. Huge. Thank you. If for listeners not familiar, Trackside Brewing by Colshin has been put in down at the old GP site on the waterfront. Uh, it's basically made of shipping containers mm-hmm. uh, and uh, right next to the pump track there. And so uh, I think some ice cream has gone in there yep. and maybe some burgers now, but. Certainly a very popular outdoor destination uh, this summer and hopefully uh, into the future. Yep. Maybe not in February, though. Might be a little rainy, windy, and cold. (laughs) (laughs) We shall see. Your life can change in an instant. Car accidents impact all aspects of your life and lead to pain and suffering, medical bills, and time missed from work. Robinson and Cole, attorneys in Bellingham, can help. They have represented thousands of clients since 1979. They also handle other types of injury claims, including workers' compensation. Consultations are always free and are available in Spanish. Robinson and Cole, when you need us, we will be here. All right, and now we are joined by Rick Lingbloom retired elementary school teacher who taught for 30 years in the Bellingham School District. Rick, thanks for joining us. Hey, you bet. This is a privilege for me to be uh, part of your guys' podcast. It's pretty awesome what you guys are doing. So tell us a little bit about how you became a teacher, what grades you taught, and what schools you taught at here locally. Yeah. I uh, started a little bit later in life. I uh, got a degree in psychology. I didn't know what to do with it. And um, I was encouraged by numerous friends to go into teaching because I enjoyed kids and had some good friends that were teachers. And so it wasn't until I was almost 35 that I went into teaching. And I only taught two grades. I taught first grade for the first half of my career and second grade for the second half of my career. And I was at Sunnyland and at Northern Heights. So when Northern Heights opened, I went over there and spent my rest of my career there. So I'm the only one that has elementary school kids at this point. So I want some practical advice, Rick. What's the best way for me to reach out to my kid's teacher, either if I think there's an issue uh, or if I think my 
uh, child is falling behind or my child isn't being challenged. As a teacher, what would be your preferred method of communication and what's too much and, and what's not enough? I think that parents are their child's best advocates. And um, it doesn't matter if it's during a, a COVID time or a, any other time, um, don't hesitate to contact your child's teacher. Um, and I think when you have those concerns, the important thing that I feel as a teacher or as a dad, um, when you approach those interactions, do it with the positive mindset that you both have your child's best interests in mind. Um, and I think sometimes it's easy to have a, a, a negative attitude. You're, you're approaching that because you've got, sometimes it's because you've got an issue. Not very often do I, did I get a whole lot of, you know, phone calls and emails just calling to tell me what a great guy I was. Um, and luckily I didn't get a lot of bad ones either, but, uh, but I think just, just as no parent sets out to do a bad job of parenting, no teacher sets out with the goal of being incompetent. So it's important for both parents and teachers to be able to understand each other's perspectives. So teachers will do a much better job um, if they can understand more about your child and you're the one that knows most about them. So for you to be able to share um, about your child from your perspective, that's great. And then teachers can do a better job of sharing the same with you. I think having those open, honest uh, conversations with your child's teacher are going to be super helpful for you to be able to kind of deal with those issues and just be more aware of each other's styles and what your concerns are. Um, Rick, it seems yeah. the role of dads has shifted over the years um, and fathers are much more active in participating in the daily lives of their children. Did you see that in the, in the way dads interacted with you as part of their kids' education? I, I have seen more involvement. Um, and I think most dads take on that role of being um, wanting to be involved with their kids' lives. And I think what I have seen over my my tenure as a teacher is that um, I think there's a lot more diversity in terms of families. So there's more um, maybe moms working and dads staying at home. There might be more uh, situations where there's a divorce. And so the kids are with one parent part of the time and another parent part of the time. And so with, when they're with dad, um, dad obviously has to take on that role. And so I think what we have seen is more dads coming to school on a regular basis, picking kids up, coming to conferences, being involved with PTA and just in the everyday activities of kids' lives. So, Rick, uh, to follow up a little bit, what's a piece of advice that you'd like to offer to the parents out there who are listening? Yeah, I have. Can I give you two? I have two. Um, I, I'm reminded of. Um, the movie Shrek, which is a while back, but some of you may have seen that. And there's a scene in there where Shrek and Fiona, Shrek the ogre and Fiona are making a journey and they've got um, the donkey in the back of the cart. And at one point the donkey says, are we there yet? Shrek says, no. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? Yes. Really? No. Um, And this goes on. and, and, And if you look at it, it's like eight times this exchange goes goes on. And, and you've all heard that before. Um, and I guess my, the, the thing that I want you to know, or that's comforting for me to know is that your child's on a journey and they're not there yet. And so they won't be there 
there, whatever there is. They won't be there at the end of the kindergarten, at the end of kindergarten, second grade, uh, eighth grade, 12th grade, but that their journey in education is as much about, um, their education is as much about their journey as it is about the destination. And each child in each one of us is, should be moving on toward a new destination all the time. And so it doesn't matter if your destination is third grade or middle school or high school or college or career or a family or planning a vacation or even in my case retirement that's not the end of the journey i i hope it's not the end of the journey um all kids and hopefully adults are on different parts of their journey so um for you as as dads or moms listening to this i i encourage you to to just enjoy where your child is on that journey right now and encourage them to just be looking forward to that next destination and know that it's going to be an ongoing process. So that's one thing. I do also want to say one more. Um, uh, uh, I don't know how many years ago it was, 25 or so, Steve Morse, who some of you may know, he is an, he came to Bellingham as a principal at Silver Beach Elementary. And um, he taught a parenting class at my church. And his question on the first day of the class was, what is your job as a parent? And of course, most of us were parents. And just if we asked you, you'd all have wonderful, amazing answers of, well, your job is this or that. And everything we answered, he said, no. And finally, he just said, no, you have one job as a parent. And your job as a parent is to create independent adults. And if your child is a little infant, you need to do everything for that child. But as they get older, you're going to have them do more and more. It may be hold their own spoon. It may be start dressing themselves. It may be whatever. And as we go up that, um, uh, the ages and the abilities of your child, you doing all the things for them is a disservice. You want them to be able to be independent. So when I think about that as a teacher or as a dad, what are the things that I need to do? If my kid can tie his shoes, he needs to tie his shoes. Um, so that means, so, so some of you, um, you don't need to walk your child down the hall and into their second grade classroom and help them to get their coat off and hang it on the back of their chair and unload their backpack because they can do that themselves and they need to be the be responsible. So uh, I just encourage you to, what are the ways that you can help your child become more independent, whether they're at age one or at age 21? Well, Rick, this has been really great. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and to our listeners. I want to wish you well in your retirement. Okay. It's, this has been really fun. Well, this week we are joined by Sherry Heldy, the head preschool teacher at a Loving Space School here in Bellingham. Sherry, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So what are the goals of preschool and how much of preschool time is spent preparing a preschooler to eventually enter kindergarten? Yeah, we at Loving Space, we really see... um, childhood is like a chapter book and we don't want to rush through, you know, that first, second, third chapter to really be in the fifth chapter. So we really see our job to be um, developmentally appropriate and, and meet the kids where they're at because developmentally, you know, some three-year-olds are um, still gaining language skills and some three-year-olds come in talking like full sentences and 
some really complex thoughts. And so they're all at a little bit of a different space in developmentally. And so our, we see it as our job to really meet them where they're at, give them the confidence to have their voice be heard, say goodbye to their parents. That's one of the first things, right? Is that they're, they're leaving home and they're going somewhere else and getting to know new grownups and um, learning that, that their needs can be met by other people. And then how do they work in a group? How do they, um, how do they get their needs met among their peers? How do they ask for what they want and um, still be thoughtful about what somebody else might want or need or what their ideas are in a game or during school? And then really what, what we want for them is to leave knowing that school is a place for them, knowing that school is a place that they belong and that they matter and that and that they feel excited to go to the next time it's a school day. Because if you have that foundation of like that social emotional, like solidness in them, then they're ready for any sort of learning. And how long is a preschooler's day typically at Loving Space? Well, you know, this year is not typical, but usually it's anywhere from um, two and a half to four hours. So we run two programs, a morning program and then an afternoon program. So we get to accommodate under a normal year, you know, 80 to 90 families come through our school each week. And and those children are typically three and four-year-olds. Is that right? Three to five. Three to five. Yeah, we do a mixed age environment. So they're not separated out by their age. We um, like strongly believe that they learn so much from being with one another. That first year preschooler learns a lot by watching that second year preschooler. Um, just really play and you know they they learn so much from what they get to see other kids do and what does a child need to do to be able to start preschool yeah a lot of parents ask us and some schools do require like do they need to be potty trained and um, that is not a requirement on our end just because we know that there's not this magic button you don't turn three and then ding you're toilet independent See, Mark, you can still go to preschool. <laughs> so we don't require that at our school, which I, I'm hearing is a little bit unusual. I think the big thing that parents are looking, could be looking for is like, is your kid interested in other kids? Are they sort of like taking those steps away from you at the park? Or is there, is there play in that two-year-old year moving into away from parallel play and more interactive play? language skills are also really important. They, you know, to be able to express themselves and um, communicate with the staff. Though we have had over the years, kids who were coming in with not having English at home. And so they came to us with, 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 you know, another language that they were speaking at home and learned, learned English with us at preschool. Right on. What kinds of mistakes have you seen some parents make that you think uh, other parents who are listening and thinking about sending their kids to preschool could perhaps learn from? Yeah, I think pushing kids to do something before they're ready. Uh, I see parents do that with toilet independent with toilet independence, um, and so it can create more anxiety in kids and more power struggles because it is something they have control over. And so with stuff like that, um, things that they do have control over, what, what our job as parents is to just create really healthy habits around these things and give them everything they need to be successful. And so if we're talking about 
going to preschool and everything you need to be successful. It's, you know, having, having a really good breakfast before you head off to school, not over-preparing them, not asking them sort of leading questions like, oh, honey, are you feeling nervous today? Like really, really modeling the behavior that you want to see in them, which is excitement and confidence. And their kids, I mean, preschool is fun and exciting and there's great things to do. And they hear a lot of yeses the whole, you know, three hours that they're there. So most kids are pretty excited about it. But but I think really just showing them the confidence that you have in them that they can do this. Similarly, during this three to four-year-old period, what can parents be doing at home that would sort of dovetail with what they would be learning at preschool to help sort of foster the development in those years? I think the biggest thing we as parents can do for our kids for their development is um, reading stories to them, creating, creating rhythms and rituals at home that they can count on, paying attention to when they're ready to be pushed a little bit, you know, when they're, um, ready to pour their own water or they're ready to clear the table, like ways that they can be helpful parts of the family. I think that to go back to your, to your question, Chris, I think a mistake that parents can often make is just doing things for kids because it's faster and easier. And so slowing, slowing down and, and letting them get that weird button that they just are kind of fumbling with, you know, you could do it so much easier, but they've only been on this earth for three years and their fingers are smaller and they're just learning. And so slowing down with them to do that, to let them do those things and celebrate in those small accomplishments. If we have piqued the interest of any of our listeners, how do they learn more about loving space and how do they, they get in touch to inquire about their kids maybe attending there? Yeah, we have a website, lovingspaceschools.com. I'd say come to our open house this year, but that's going to be virtual. So, um, so they can, they can send me an email, lovingspaceschool at gmail.com. And they can connect to that through the website and they can always just call us on the phone. You know, we're there, we are there five days a week right now with kids, just really small groups and we're wearing masks and all the doors and windows are open and we're washing our hands a lot and doing all the things. Well, Sherry, thank you so much for joining us today. We will put a link in our show notes to Loving Space. And uh, thanks for the wisdom and tips you've provided to all our listeners who have little ones. Oh, good. I hope it was helpful. Hi, Amy. How are you? Hi. Thank you for having me. So listeners, uh, Chris's wife, Amy, is a third grade teacher, and we're going to talk a little bit to her about how her job has changed over the last 12 months and how students are doing and maybe more importantly, how teachers are doing. And so, Amy, I know that you're just going to bring one person's perspective here and you're not speaking on behalf of any of your colleagues, but thanks so much for doing this. You bet. Is there anything that you did as a remote teacher that you hope to continue to do now that you're back into a more normal routine? Totally. I would say um, one of the coolest things that has come out of working remotely is um, the access that I've had to my students' parents. For many families, um, coming to school for a parent-teacher conference or being able to volunteer in the classroom, those were things that were hard because of work, because of other, you know, younger siblings and daycare issues. And for 
us to be able to connect virtually and for me to be able to step into their home has been, um, I felt really privileged that families have let me into their home, not only to teach their kids, but to work with them as families in, you know, really forming a, a partnership because I wasn't at their house helping their student. They were really the teacher and I was the one that was, you know, providing content and information and suggestions. But um, it, it has felt much more like a parent-teacher partnership mm -hmm. than it ever has before. And I really hope that that can continue. And I feel like it can because now we know that we can collaborate remotely when families can't get into the building for whatever reason. So I really hope that that will continue. And also, I think that we have discovered that some of our students uh, really thrived in the virtual environment for whatever reason, whether it was all they had to do in the morning was get up and open their computer and they mm -hmm. were at school. <laughs> That's all it took. You know, um, some families, it's hard for them to get their students to school. And so these students um, who maybe had poor attendance issues in the past could be responsible for themselves and get up in the morning, open their computer, and boom, they were at school. And so I think that um, we as a system, and this is a huge conversation, not, <laughs> not for tonight and not just for our school or our district, but I think we as an education system have a really big um, opportunity to create some change and uh, provide opportunities for students who... Um, this really worked for better than in-person school for whatever reason. Um, I really hope that we give some other options in the future. I've read articles and I've, I've heard discussions about Generation C, the, the COVID mm. generation. And oh, yeah. the, the possibility that some people fear that these kids will be behind academically for quite a long time. As a, as a teacher of younger kids, Amy, are you concerned about that? Have you seen that now that they're back in the classroom that the kids have fallen behind and won't be able to catch up? No, they are so resilient. Might they be not as great yet at multiplication and division? Maybe, but that's not my goal right now. My goal is I've got 16 students in my classroom who haven't been around other people for a whole year. We are relearning how to be around other people in a way that we have never had to before. So not only are we relearning how to establish friendships and to share things and to be in a space together, but now we have to be in a space together where we have to cover our face and we're washing our hands all the time and we have to keep a safe distance from everybody. And so that's my that's my main purpose. And if there's one thing, and this is my perspective, <laughs> if there's one thing that I would um, want the listeners to hear who might be worried about kids falling behind is teachers are trained. We are trained to meet kids where they're at and take them forward. And that's what we're going to do. And they're going to catch up. I promise they're going to they're going to catch up over time. But right now, 
they need to feel good about being at school. They need to be happy at school. They need to know what school looks like now because it's different than it was. And my experience so far just being back for the last almost month is that they are thrilled to be there. They are thrilled to play on the playground. They are thrilled to walk into the library. They are thrilled to have a pencil box in their desk, even though their desk is six feet away from somebody else's, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. they're just, I, I feel like their perspective has shifted because the things that maybe they took for granted, all of us took for granted, they're so happy to have back. And I feel like that's a lesson that they couldn't have necessarily learned otherwise. And that's a huge life lesson. The academics are going to come. Right. So I, I don't feel worried about that. Yeah. Amy, we'll get you out of here with uh, <clears throat> one last question. And this would yeah. pertain to the parents. We talked about the impact on the students, the impact on the teachers, but the parents mm-hmm. have been impacted as well in, in yeah. many ways, as we all know. Yeah. Any advice to them is, um, I mean, I, I know it's great having the kids back in the classroom, but it's still not like it was more than a year ago. Any advice to them on how to hang in there for a little while longer until hopefully we get back to full-time school again? Yeah, I I try really hard to tell my parents, you didn't sign up to be your child's teacher. <laughs> I did. <laughs> right. You You did not sign up for this. And so please be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Please know that your child's teacher doesn't expect you to know how to do their job. I wouldn't expect any of my parents to know how to do what I do. And um, so I I really want parents to be kind to themselves and to know that their kids' academics are going to be okay. So yeah, let's make sure they're reading. Yeah, let's make sure they're practicing particular skills at home. But let's not have them sit in front of a computer all day long. I want them to be outside and playing and moving their bodies and using all those important parts of their brain. And I don't expect them to try to teach their child how to do multiplication or division. that can add to a lot of frustration, mm-hmm. which uh, for the parents and the kid, which leads to stress and it's just a kind of a downhill spiral. And so I, I just want everyone to be nice to themselves. <laughs> That's really great advice. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, Amy, Amy, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us again. Thanks for all you do as a teacher. Thanks to all the teachers out there. It has been incredibly challenging, but uh, I think the kids are going to pull through this and teachers take care of yourselves as well. You're going to pull through this as well. So thanks so much. Thank you. You bet. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thanks as always to our sponsor, Robinson and Cole Attorneys. Remember to rate and subscribe to our podcast in your favorite podcast app. You can reach the show through our Facebook page or email us at whatcomedadspodcast at gmail.com. Well, it's going to take one more week for the dads to get their schedules aligned. So we'll take next week off and see you in two weeks with a brand new episode. Why'd the cantaloupe jump in the pool? Why? Because it wanted to be a watermelon.
How to eat space stupid? By exercising. Why was the sports stadium so windy? Why? Because of the fans.